Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 174. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we've been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are a couple of pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Maybe you have been wondering, where in the world is that John White guy? I realized that I don't think I said anything about this. John has actually been out with a new baby joining the family. So that's our first Nerd Journey baby. Congratulations to John and his family. He will be back in action once he's ready. But until then, there's more content to come. We have something totally different for you this week, everybody. A new series of interviews. That's right. You probably didn't expect that at all. Dominique Top is a solutions engineer at HashiCorp. She also classifies herself as someone who wants to know everything about everything. That's a really interesting phrase. And I think as you listen, you will see how she was able to go from being interested in music, becoming musician and lead singer of a band, to working for an Apple reseller as a sales associate, to eventually becoming a recruiter who was forced to learn about DevOps. How exactly do all the puzzle pieces fit together? Well, there's only one person who knows the story best, and that's Dominique. So here we go. Part one of our interview with Dominique Top. Dominique Top, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Hi, thank you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today, please? My name is Dominique Top. I am a solutions engineer at HashiCorp, living in London in the United Kingdom. I wanted to capture a little bit more detail on the story you shared at DevOps Loop 2021, because I thought it was completely fascinating. And you actually studied music. I did. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. Yeah, of course. So I've always been uh, very, very fascinated with music. I think I was about, I don't know, very young where I would always uh, sing along with the radio in the car with my parents. And uh, yeah, when I started, I joined a a secondary school around when I was like 12 or 13 or something, and there were loads of musicians there. And at some point I was like, I want a band. I want to be in a band. I want to play music. I want to sing songs. I want to write songs, all that kind of stuff. And because I was so busy with them, like some point at the height of that band, we used to have like, I don't know, like 50 shows a year. I was with this band for like eight years or something or seven years. And um, yeah, because of that, I felt like I wanted to, you know, that was the, that the, the goal of my life. That's what kind of what I wanted to do in my life. So I, I went to uh, went to do the, the Pop Academy. So Dutch Pop Academy, it's the Nederlandse Pop Academy in Dutch, because that's where I'm from. And that was basically a a very hands-on university study or like a yeah like a course where you would learn more about how to 
be a better musician and get like courses like um, I also did sound engineering and vocals that taught me more about how to also position myself in the, in the industry and it was it was really great it was a lot of a lot of fun times and um, uh, yeah I learned a lot and I think you were the lead singer in that band right I most certainly was yeah I was in a band called two-way radio uh, I was uh, one of the three lead singers, in fact. We were seven people in total. Um, actually, I have a couple of videos on YouTube, and we used to go on the radio, and like we have a, a, an album on Spotify. Like It was a really great time. After Tour Radio, I also started DJing, so I'm also a DJ. <laughs> um, that, that I still do, but when I, when I um, parted ways with Tour Radio, I ended up in a different band where I was the sole lead singer, and I've, I've been doing some, some music bits and pieces over the years, uh, so I also have a a side project called Duality Sync with one of my best friends uh, from the Netherlands. And it's kind of our, our lockdown project. So um, he's, he makes the music back in the Netherlands and I record my vocals at home. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Very cool. Here, here's my theory. My theory is that being a lead singer in a band gets you past the stage fright that people might have when they do public presentations. Is that accurate or is it totally different when you're singing versus presenting something? There's certain overlap. It certainly helps. I think in order for me, for people to be a lead singer, that it requires a certain mindset or a certain certain personality type. And I've always, you know, based on my musical history, I like being the center of attention. <laughs> and you know, like being on stage definitely, um, definitely does that to you. And then yeah, like doing presentations and talking about things or doing things or presenting something that you care about or that you know a lot about is uh is yeah that, that, that definitely helps so <laughs> doing presentations and especially when i started doing the meetups and stuff like actually presenting the next speakers i always um uh, i think we're going to go into that a little bit later but like i always like to um be more awkward than than the the people who might be really nervous to do a talk so if i'm always a bit more you know, uh, happy-go-lucky and a bit more uh, enthusiastic and over the top, then it feels a bit less awkward for 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 the speakers to uh, to just you know calm down and bring their best selves to the talk. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely helps for other people as well, or at least to try to create that safe space. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> if you're a musical artist, certainly you get up there and perform, but you're probably going to have to say some stuff in between songs now and then. Tell interact oh, yeah. with the audience in in a in a way that's just speaking to them while the while the band takes a break or or while you catch your breath between songs right i wasn't always very good at that let me just say that so i remember i think i was about like 16 or 17 or something we had some gigs across the, across the country and i just talk right you can give me a microphone i would just say stuff like <laughs> and not always does it work <laughs> so like at the time i remember um i was at a gig somewhere and i was making a really silly joke and it didn't land very well with the audience and I could literally see people's faces go like, what? <laughs> I got blasted from my, uh, from, from, from the rest of the band. Like, what, what did you say? <laughs> I was like, well, this is the joke. I said, that, I don't even remember what the joke was, but I mean, I thought it was funny. It's like, well, I don't think anybody understood what you said. So it was, you know, it was, it was very, uh, maybe you should work on being a bit more legible, I guess, like, un like make sure you, say the words and then make sure that it lands 
I mean, you can imagine, like, if you're on stage and you're, like, just sang a song, you're very, like, full of adrenaline. Oh, yeah. If I get very excited, I mean, I feel like I'm, I have to rein in myself a bit now as well. But if you, if I get excited, I talk, I start talking really fast. And at the time, I didn't, didn't quite have the tools in my belt to actually rein myself in a little bit. I mean, I'm a bit older now, so I feel like it comes a bit more natural uh, these days. But yeah, at the time, it was, that was a, that was a journey in itself. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, it, it takes that, that deliberate practice, the experience, continuing to do it. That's that's a great point. As far as a different type of work experience, you actually went into consumer electronics, right? I did. I did. That was actually quite fun. What made you want to do that? Um, that's a good question. It was it was more a uh, stroke of luck and like a sort of situational more than it happened. Uh, when I graduated from uh, from the pop academy, you can imagine that any any uh, aspiring musician needs to pay them bills. So I needed a job <laughs> because you know, like rent doesn't pay itself, and uh, and and yeah, there's a there's a very big gap between getting money for your music and actually being successful and and where you start out with. So. In my hometown of uh, Hilversum, North Holland, I was walking around the, the town center and like, okay, I need a job. And there was one shop that was the only shop that I actually really cared about was the Ice Center. It was, at the time, it was called I Am Store. But yeah, this Apple Premium Reseller. And I just walked in and a few friends of mine worked there. And I was like, you know what? I need a job. This li- This looks like the most interesting thing that I can find in my area without having to travel very far. Do you have a job? So they, in fact, did have a job. And um, it was... It was a lot of fun because me and my father always, I'm, I'm, I alluded to this and I believe in my talk as well, but my father and I were always very, very gadgety and like, oh, we've got like, we had the first computer in our house and, and um, you know, like I had, uh, was the first, one of the first people in my, in, my, uh, in my class to have a mobile phone and the, the whole Apple ecosystem at the time was very impressive to me because it was very much like, oh, think different. Like it was halfway through um, the early, uh, early 2000s. So it was, it was like the peak, everything Apple was great. So I went in there and, and uh, went to get that job and got the job, obviously. And um, yeah, it was really fun. And, you know, like learning everything about anything, about all this, the processes and like different, uh, different, different devices. And, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about working there was more, and this is actually something that has been a red thread to my career, but like, you know, talking about what is, what problem is, are you expecting to have this product solve for you? If that makes sense. And, and those conversations oh, yeah. are a lot more interesting than just, Hi, we've got a here. We've got a Mac Pro here. It's the most expensive device that we have. Uh, you know, swing in a couple of hard drives. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to buy that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's gonna be uh, X amount of money. It's gonna be expensy, honey. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never been like that, and I, I really appreciated that. Was kind of like the Apple way of, of of doing things. You know, like trying to actually understand the people who are in your shop, and like and trying to understand the reasons why people want to buy something. And you know, Simon Sinek was uh, very often quoted, like, start with why, so why you're getting out of bed in the morning all that kind of good stuff so yeah and then and my because i've been there for quite some time at some point you know I'm, I'm the type of person who wants to know everything about everything you know in order for me to do a good job and one of the things that all this one of the services that we provided in the shop was actual service support you know so we had like a whole service desk with some uh, some certified technicians and you know that was just next to the little office so every time they would like open up the open up the back and doing the um, the fixing like taking out the ram or upgrading anything or like removing hard drives and stuff like that i always was very interested pulling out the sim card all that good stuff yeah yeah also like in phones and macbooks every all of the devices that we were uh, that we had on sale at the time and i thought it was like hugely interesting so i was like oh so what does that do 
Oh, so that's what a RAM uh, RAM stick looks like. It's oh, so why why would you why does this hard drive look different than that one? And it's just you know like the constant curiosity. And at some point, my service technician, um, she was like, "Do you want to have a go?" I said, "I mean, I'm not certified, but sure." If you was like, "Oh, if you're if I'm looking over your shoulder, it should be fine." So you know, one of those um, demo machines, so it didn't have any <laughs> any potential impact on any of our customer devices. But yeah, it was like super interesting, and uh, and 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 that just got me really more excited about the inner workings of, of computers and, and then how everything else works as well. So, so yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And I imagine the social interaction with people who would come in the store came perhaps a bit more natural to you as a performer than maybe someone who got that job straight out of school with no other type of experience. Yeah, I think that would, that would be a fair statement. I feel like my particular branch, we had like a very large team because our, our shop was one of the larger ones in the in, in, in the country. People would come specifically from all around the area to specifically come buy the stuff there. But yeah, you'd have a lot of regulars, you know, like people come in and go like, hey, Domi, how you doing? Yeah, I was like, hey, how's the kids? You know, like, because you're asking a lot of things about what people, why people need certain devices and what kind of problems they're trying to solve and who else is going to use this device and what else are you, um, what are your hobbies? And you get you get to know a lot of really, uh, some some people really interestingly, to this day, actually, some some people I still talk to fairly regularly, which is interesting. It definitely makes a difference if you if you, if you have some experience of just not having the sort of embarrassment, guys, almost like talking about yourself, but also asking people questions. And it's just I just like talking to people. <laughs> any was there any struggle internally with being in that sales focused role? I know that's a struggle for some people. You know, salespeople have this negative connotation associated. I mean, maybe maybe it's not as much in a retail position like that, but did you ever struggle with that at all? Not at iCenter. I felt like I was really helping people. You know, I was I, I, like, I didn't have to reconcile that or anything. For me, it was like I'm advising somebody to buy something. I have always been the type of person, very pragmatic, like, look, if you don't, if, if this doesn't suit you, obviously it's your decision. I'm just trying to guide you to the decision that like, you can make an educated an educated decision on the purchase. I do get that you're what you're saying, like oh, like salespeople get a bit of a, a bad reputation. I felt more that way when I, when I moved into recruitment after that. Still, sometimes to this day, I feel a bit awkward talking about it, but it, it is it is still a part of my um part of my, part of my experience. Just to give you a bit of backstory, like after about four and a half years of working at iCenter, I felt like I just wanted something else. MacBooks get refreshed, iPhones get refreshed iPads get refreshed but at some point you're just still having the same conversations you know after four and a half years or something it just it it feels like I was ready for a next step basically so when I started working for for a recruitment company I was I was explaining this in the DevOps loop talk as well I believe one of my friends said like hey you should update your LinkedIn profile and then um you know see what happens I, I wanted something a bit more grown up I wanted maybe something in a, in an office or something I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do but I felt like something with people and something that would still further the experience that I've had pre- previously and as you say like the the, the the connection, making making connections with people, something that I wanted to do. On advice of one of my friends, um, created a LinkedIn profile. I didn't have one at the time, didn't know what it was. You know, uh, what do you want to do? I guess sales, account management, something like that. I was like, I felt like that was something that at the time would suit my skills. And after like a couple of days, I started like the messages start rolling in. And it was this one guy who messaged me saying like, hey, I might have something interesting for you. Guy was a recruiter from, from, uh, from, from the recruitment company I ended up working in. 
Um, but he was saying like, yeah, I've got, I've got a, a job in IT recruitment. Okay, can you tell me a bit more about what IT recruitment is? I've told the story so many times, but it's still relevant. You know, the guy was like, okay, well, you have your customers and you've got your candidates. And basically, whenever there's a requirement, you're just, they need something, they want something, and then you basically just match them up together. So I interpreted it as, okay, so you're telling me I can still talk about technology all day and help people. And he was like, yeah. Yeah, 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 I guess. And so and that's what my expectation was. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, well, sure, let's, 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 let's do it. Then <laughs> when I started the job, they said, you are doing DevOps, DevOps contracts is your vertical, this is yours, go off at it. And when I asked, like, hey, can you tell me what that means? You know, because I'm the type of person who wants to know everything about everything before doing uh, feeling like I'm getting and doing a good job. And they were like, oh, man, well, it's, it's, you know, we've heard that it's lucrative. So you need to ask your candidates so i was like okay i love that it's lucrative yeah this should have been a red flag at the time but it's just hindsight right so this is them talking about like it's a while ago it's easy to talk about stuff in hindsight but at the time i was like yeah okay sure you know talking to so many engineers and like you know gave me the the, the different definitions of devops etc and i was like oh this is cool so to answer your question about the sales like reputation the further along in my, my recruitment career I was, the more I started realizing that people don't like recruiters at all. I'm, I'm actually going as far as saying that some people actually hate recruiters or hate working with them. And that was really difficult for me. To, that was really difficult for me to reconcile because, you know, at some point it, I, I'm not really talking in... in, in um, in, uh, in chronological order here, but when I started going to more meetups and when I started literally going to every single meetup on the DevOps and adjacent topics, people would ask me like, oh, so what do you do? I was like, yeah, I work for a recruitment company. And they would literally just like walk away. And, and it was such a weird experience. So I was, at some point I was like, but I'm, I'm here to learn about the technologies. I want to know more about what you do so I can do it maybe later, you know? So it was, it was a very, very weird and humbling, awkwardly humbling experience. And and I felt like that was that was not really fair. So at some point, I just started like stop talking about my job entirely until I started working for a company that felt a bit more like they were a bit more focused towards the actual community. We're really invested in making sure that the community comes first rather than, you know, like your general recruitment practices where uh, your boss tells you to close the candidates in the lowest low amount, the lowest amount possible. And then like weasel the highest amount of money out of uh, out of out of the customer. So we have the most margin. I don't like that. Yeah, I've always said that I've, I identify more with the techies I spoke to on a daily basis than the actual recruiters that I worked with. That's been pretty much of a big catalyst of doing uh, to, to, to go where I am today. So when you are recruiting for a role you've never done, how do you determine if the candidate is qualified? That is an excellent question. And that is something that not every recruiter has figured out yet. And for me personally, again, it comes back to wanting to know everything about everything. The first six, eight months that I've done the job, I spoke to loads of engineers. And the first things I just wanted to know, hey, what is DevOps? And then they gave me like loads of different explanations, which is really interesting. But then two, you know, what is the, what are the technologies that you're using? Why would this technology work with this technology? Why wouldn't this technology work with this technology? What does this whole like software development lifecycle look like? And why is it important to you and your company? What do you want to do in your job, in your career? What's what's important to you? What is your ambition? And like asking all of these questions and literally really figuring out who a person is, what they're good at, 
what they're not good at, if they're willing to talk about it, but also like truly understanding on the customer perspective, what is most important to you? Like, you know, why, why do you need this person? Why do you need this person specifically? Why are you looking only specifically for this technology? Why is this technology what, uh, what you've decided on? Why not these you know, like more understanding, more complete picture of, of, you know, what's important to a certain company. And obviously not everybody's going to share that with a mere recruiter. So sometimes if I got the information out of people, that was cool. But <laughs> I feel I feel like looking back at it, I did, I did get a lot of information from a lot of people because not really many recruiters ask these questions, in my opinion. Maybe they do now, but... Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question. How open were the people you were talking to with what they were willing to share. I feel, again, like I feel like a, a, I make friends along the way pretty much all of everywhere in my life. <laughs> I feel like people have always been really forthcoming with me most of the time. Obviously, there's always going to be people who are having a bad day or having bad experience with other people. So you get that, like the, the back end of that the, um, bad mood. And that's always going to be a thing. But most of the time, I, I, tend, I tend to have been vibing with people in the right way. And people have always been you know, able to share things with me. Some, you know, not going to lie. Sometimes people would ask me like, why, why do you need this information? It's like, well, look, if, if, if I have the information, if I have all of the information that I need or the things that are important to you, then A, I can come up with better things for you. You know, if, if I, I might not have something now, but if I speak to somebody else or some, and I know, oh, this would be that engineer's perfect dream contract job or whatever, I've been immediately able to call them and say like, hey, I have it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> if someone got hired through this recruitment firm, did they pay some sort of fee to the firm, like as a headhunting fee? It sounds like you you might keep them in mind for later jobs, or is it more, because uh, and you're building a, a candidate pool that you can pull from later. Do, do they pay you to indirectly headhunt for them? Or was it more of a, you have these positions to fill and you need to fill them? So in the recruitment world, there are two types of recruitment, multiple types, but <clears throat> two main types of recruitment. So you've got your permanent recruitment, which basically searches for people to fill permanent positions. And there's contract recruitment, which searches for temporary positions. So... Um, sometimes a company would need, I don't know, three, six, nine, 12 months of extra help. And there will be some in, like independent contractors that would go from place to place to uh, come in and solve some problems. <laughs> so it also generally has uh, a certain type of person <laughs> to do in the independent contracting. Which is interesting. But yeah, so basically when one person finishes a project somewhere, then they go to the next. So that's why I've been in touch or like I've still kept in touch with a lot of people I used to contact back then. But yeah, like to answer your question, like from the permanent perspective, that's when you get like a headhunting fee or like the generally is like a percentage of the, of the of the yearly salary or something like that. And for contract recruitment, it's generally the hourly rate or the daily rate of the contractor. And then the company will have some sort of budget then or like the, the recruitment company will ask for a percentage of the margin or something like that. So it will be day rate plus margin equals whatever the customer has to pay for it. And that then does happen monthly. So then the contractor will bill the recruitment company and then the recruitment company will bill the, 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 the customer and then like somewhere in the middle will be some revenue, basically. Makes sense. Now that you've done the recruitment and been on the recruiter side, when you work with recruiters, you know, if a recruiter contacts you, for example, today, is your general 
mode of operation to be more open with them or be more guarded? That completely depends. I, I do have a tendency of like, I will only give the time to people that I consider to be good because that I want to be treated like I treat others. And I treat others the way I'd like to be treated, basically. So if there's a recruiter that just sends me a random, like, auto-generated message, I generally don't really respond. But people actually take the time to actually read my LinkedIn profile or something like that. Like, that, it's just different. Like, I do tend to be a lot more, like, guard up. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to give you any of the information because I know exactly what you're going to do with it. <laughs> you know, everything you say can and will be used against you kind of thing. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. And again, like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of the industry, but to be fair, there are just, there are a lot of bad seeds in the industry that are strictly money motivated and like a good recruiter is worth their weight in gold. That's it. If you have a good person that can represent your needs and represent your interests and understands what the industry does and like really understands what the, what, what, what the role is that they're representing and really understand both sides of the spectrum. And, you know, that, that can be incredibly powerful and useful. I, I think there is definitely a place and a time, but yeah, I, I say, to be fair, like it's the same with estate agents. <laughs> I think estate agents are worse. <laughs> so I was in the process of buying a, buying a house recently and, uh, <laughs> you know, like having to play the game to the salespeople is, is, is kind of, you know, <laughs> I know exactly what you're doing and I'm not falling for it. <laughs> it sounds like we need to filter the recruiters who contact us a little bit, feel them out, and then really determine what their motivations are and and whether they know the job that they're talking to you about. Yeah, pretty much. I think um, as, a, as a sort of like word of advice, and I think I, I don't really want to spend too much time talking about recruitment because I'm really happy I'm out of it, but as a sort of word of advice for for people who are being contacted by recruiters, if you want to spend the time on it, most of the time people will send you a message you can really easily filter out if it's some some one message that's being copy pasted to everything. Are they making any sort of time to read your profile? Are they making it any more personalized to what you know to you? I still get messages pretty much every day. Not I don't reply to most of them. Sometimes I just want to like feel out if these people are good enough, you know. <laughs> And sometimes people will just say like, oh, I've got this and this. And uh, it's like, have you even read my LinkedIn profile? So I, most of the time I don't really give it a time of day, but it's if you're looking or if you're interested or if it does look um, like something that you'd be interested in, it's always worth just asking, hey, can you send me a salary range? And people who are actually willing to talk about it rather than saying like, no, um, yeah, it's can't really share anything. It's it's Yeah everybody has a budget so it's just one of those things or like same with the with 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 the job spec if the job spec is anywhere remotely fitting to your own skills it doesn't even mention the same job as you do because sometimes i still get recruitment offers like i I have not been in recruitment for years i do not want to be in recruitment fantastic job offer with an uncapped commission blah blah blah. it's like i don't care (laughs) thank you for that i think that's really helpful for people out there who might be contacted by recruiters let's go back to the devops meetups If you haven't watched Dominique's DevOps Loop 2021 presentation on her career timeline, 
it's fascinating. And we I put the link in the show notes in case anybody wants to go check that out. And the purpose of this this series of interviews was really to dig a little bit deeper in certain areas. I love the fact that she really became a performer who could set people at ease. She mentions that even when she would go to meetup groups, she would try to be more awkward and full of energy so that anyone giving a talk could calm down and do their best work. It's really about creating a safe space for other people, and I think you'll see that theme play out not only in part one, but also in part two. Do you recall how that job at the Apple reseller started? She picked something that seemed the most interesting. She was into gadgets, but she didn't know all the technical details, which she actually ended up learning. And to her, it wasn't necessarily sales. It was helping people. What Dominique was really good at, and we never used the word, I don't think, in the episode, is doing discovery. She did discovery of the full human, the person. She got to know the person who wanted a product at the Apple reseller she worked at. And why did they want it? What did they want to do with it? And she used that same discovery and curiosity methodology when she was a recruiter to really get to know her customers. When she was a recruiter, her customers were not only the people that she was trying to place in a specific role, but also the company that needed that role filled. So there was two sides, and she had to do her set of discovery on both sides. But the goal was to know everything about everything and understand how to make the best fit. Have you ever taken a job where you were told it was going to be one thing, and once you got in it, it's a little bit different? In Dominique's case, she was told that it was going to be IT recruitment, but she was actually given this DevOps recruitment vertical, and nobody at her company seemed to know what that is. She had to go and figure it out. She wasn't afraid to go and do that. She wasn't afraid to go and ask the questions and do the discovery and these conversations with people. Getting to know them, learning from their experience, helped her learn about the people, but also a little bit more about the discipline that she was in. And I think that's why she has the perspective she has on recruiters, that good recruiters are worth their weight in gold. They do that discovery before they've talked to you. They look at your profile. They look at, is this role, does it really match what this person's about? It makes me think back to Chris Wall and the recruiter email he got from Slalom that was very personalized to him. The person had thought about it. It wasn't just something they blasted off to meet a, a metric of volume of touches. It was quality over quantity, and I really like that. I really like the fact that Dominique continued learning, continued being curious in, in all these things. I think you'll see that that spirit of discovery continues with Dominique, but that's all I'm going to tell you. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore, flying solo for now, for my buddy John White, at V Journeyman, a.k.a. Daddy John, signing off.